hoping that you can stick around and celebrate with us afterwards, so we just got to get right into it today. No videos, just cutting right to the chase. We're going to play a bit of a word association game here to get things started. You know the word association game. It's a great one because there are certain words that just get tied to names. There are certain names that get tied to words, and they just become so intertwined, really, you can't pull them apart anymore. It happens, uh, you know, it happens in sports all the time. You know, we got the great one. Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. Oh, I, all right. I, sorry. I planted a church for eight years in Canada. Sorry. I just slipped back. In the Wayne Gretzky, the great one. Sorry. We'll go. Uh, sorry. Sorry. No, that actually was an honest mistake. I got in culture. Sorry, Americans. So, um, so <laughs> all right, let's do, how about King James? LeBron, that's right. So sports figure, it's almost ubiquitous with so many sports. All right, we're going to go somewhere totally different because apparently nobody knows there's other countries or sports that exist. Let's go, let's go to cities. How about the Windy City? There you go, the Big Apple. All right, the Mile High City. That, okay, please tell me you're going to get the Mile High City. Like, you're there, okay, friends? You know, I mean, and it happens in the Bible, of course. It happens with so many of these lives in the Bible that we get so connected to. We have, of course, the rock. Peter. Peter means the rock. His name was Simon. He became Peter, the rock. We have the sons of thunder. Anybody know? Anybody know? James and John. How about the disciple who Jesus loved? John. That's right. How about, how about the betrayer? Judas, right. Perhaps of all of them, though, there is one that is so intertwined. It's so ubiquitous with his name. It, it's just a shame. You're, you're already thinking it. You probably already know where I'm about to go. Doubting. Oh, all right, we're going to kill that though today. Today is the plan that we're going to kill this. Be, now listen, let's go back for a moment to your worst moment, the moment that you've been trying to forget and now I'm trying to resurrect for some awful reason on this day of celebration. That moment of embarrassment, that moment of shame, that moment, I don't know, maybe when you, you wet your pants in elementary school or you wet your pants in middle school or you wet your pants in high school or you just wet your pants. I don't know, that moment that you, you know, that, that now here's what I'm going to guess about that moment. It was embarrassing. It was mortifying. You thought you would never live it down. But I'm guessing you didn't go to your class reunion and they weren't like, you know, hey, wet your pants, Sonia. You know, like, you know, here's a diaper for you. You know, like, no, we, we seem to be able to like live these things down except for poor Thomas. Poor Thomas. He has this incredible life of faith. He has this one week of doubt and well-founded doubt, and he now just gets stuck with this for literally now millennia. So we are going to undo this disaster today. I have, I have two purposes, two goals in mind for today's message. The first is very lofty. The second will be more applicable to all of us today. The first is that when we get to heaven, when you get to heaven, and you see Thomas face to face, please, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't be like, hey, doubting Thomas. I mean, if you are going to get an eye roll, you're going to get, I mean, he's going to avoid you for like the first million years. I mean, he's going to be like, really? You know, so whatever you do, like, just don't, don't go there. Don't go there. The, the, the second thing is for all of us here and now. 
We need to embrace. We need to thank Thomas. We need to fist bump Thomas. We need to high five Thomas because Thomas asks the question that demanded to be asked, that needed to be asked, that needed to be answered. And praise be to God because of him we get the answer. So without any further ado, we are going to go to this now infamous story in his life, and we are going to unpack it so that we might better apply it. So we're going to read this, we're going to break it down a little bit, and then we're going to see how this actually implies and can make all of the difference for moving forward in our faith and our belief. So that at the end of this passage, because at the end of this passage you're about to read, is one of the most famous statements, one of the best statements of our writer John, that he has written these things. He has written these stories, and this story about Thomas that comes right before, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing we would have life in his name, because that is what this is all about, friends, that we would profess the risen and reigning and returning Jesus Christ, and that by believing in him and in his name, we will have life forever. Let's read our passage here. We're going to go to John. We're going to pick up in verse 24. I'm going to read it out loud and clear here for you. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, and Jesus is always saying this, peace be with you. Ah, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is unique in telling us a great deal about Thomas. Now, let's remember that John comes last in the lineup of the Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Praise be to the God, we have this four-dimensional view of the life and ministry of Jesus. John doesn't just come last in the sequence. It comes last in the writing. He waited some 40 years after the events that he witnessed, after the life he lived with the disciples, with Thomas, he knew well of the other writers and what they had put down on record for us of Jesus and his ministry. And he is writing now to complement what is being written, to flesh out more what we know about Jesus Christ. 
And John is unique in telling us about Thomas. And one of the other unique experiences or interactions we have with Thomas happens a few chapters earlier. John chapter 11, Jesus turns his head towards the city and he goes to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. Now, when this is unfolding, I'm not gonna, I, can't, I love preaching that story. We'll come back to that one another time. But as Jesus is saying they're going to go and they're going to do this, the other disciples, they actually all get scared because by this time we're getting very close to the crucifixion, the events that we remember and celebrate at Easter, and they're rightfully concerned. Human nature, human fear, survival instinct kicks in, but it's Thomas who says, let us go with him even if we have to die with him. I, I, I become a bit of an apologist now for John because I love that. I love the John who is willing to go even if it means it's going to cost him his life. See, John, I'm, I'm sorry, because Thomas is, Thomas is all in. He is all in or he is all out. He's going to give 100% in and go with Jesus or he's going to walk and say, I was wrong, sorry, I'm out, I've tapped out, I'm moving on. Paul picks up on this. I'm going to read a passage here that really draws out and makes clear for us the importance then of what Thomas is asking, the question that he needs answered on, was Jesus truly resurrected from the dead? Paul writes for us in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, sorry, we're going to start in 13 there, yeah. If there is no resurrection of the dead, so this is what Paul is telling all of us now. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, because he's actually pointing to the hope of our resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, ooh, this one, this one causes me to think, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we then are found to be false witnesses. Not only are we lying, but like, not only are we fooled, but now we're spreading lies. We're false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He's going to such great lengths to draw this point out, even to the point of saying your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are they're lost. And, and here's the rub. Here's where it kind of like, like it brings it all together. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are to be most pitied. We are a pitiable, pathetic people if Christ has not been raised. So thanks be to God that Thomas demands an answer to the question, was Christ truly raised from the dead? So our beef with Thomas isn't the question that he raised, but we do have a beef with Thomas. We do have a beef with Thomas, which we're about to get into right now. Our beef with Thomas is this. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. And if I could just kind of heighten the urgency of this, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't with his people. He wasn't with his tribe. He wasn't with the other disciples. He wasn't 
with them when Jesus appeared. Friends, it is so important to be with God's people. It is so important to gather in settings like this. And now I'm doing the proverbial preaching to the choir, but I'm doing this to celebrate that you get it. When we gather with God's people, the resurrected Jesus shows up and things begin to happen. When we gather with God's people and we invite the Spirit to be present, things start to happen. The gospel gets preached and lives get changed. Love is expressed and people are moved. Joy gets celebrated and hope begins to well up in people. Friends, we need to keep leaning into the gathering of God's people where the resurrected Jesus Christ shows up and things begin to happen. The Spirit becomes present and fruits begin to blossom and unfold in people's lives. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control that happens when we gather as God's people. We miss out when we are not here. And he wasn't there. I've talked often to you about my, my daily affirmations. I go on a walk usually every morning and I take my dog out. And if ever there's a dog, I don't know, that is, all dogs go to heaven. If ever there's a dog that's going to go to heaven, it's going to be my little guy, Indy. Because this guy gets the gospel every single morning when I'm walking him. Because when I say I go out and I say these things, I mean I speak these things. So my neighbors do in fact think I'm crazy, which is sad and maybe why they're not here today. But I find it very helpful to audibly speak these things. I go out, it's early morning, usually people don't see me, and I do things like I recite the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, and I go through affirmations like the one we shared about the other week. God first, other second, I'm third. Today again, God, you're first, other second, I'm third. You're going to work that out. Daily, I remind myself, George, Christ loves you. Christ died for you. Christ rose for you. Christ is coming again for you. And one of the other things I remind myself every day, George, you are a part of the body of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ. You gave yourself to Christ and Christ has received you and he has grafted you in the beautiful imagery that we have given to us in scripture. I have been grafted into the life of Jesus Christ and now I am a part of what he's doing and praise be to God. I know my part. I get to serve and share my part. I'm so grateful for the part that you allow me to serve you and to glorify God and what I do. But I also add then on my affirmations this reminder, without you, Christ's body is broken. And what I want to highlight about this and what the body then is experiencing, and this will be like the first occasion of this now, is Thomas wasn't there. Christ's body was not complete. Christ's body is broken. He missed out on what was unfolding in the witnessing and the experience of the resurrected Christ. And what I believe a lot of us have experienced in life, what a lot of us are experiencing, is that we experience the brokenness every time we gather here. There's a beautiful joy and a beautiful sorrow in that, friends, when we gather together and we have the joy of being the body of Christ. But I'm going to guess, and I won't get in any, you know, any per I'm not going to meddle here this morning. We're just going to preach. I'm going to guess that everybody one of here, you could celebrate the joy of the life that you have right here, right now. We are the body of Christ, amen. But there is somebody that you wish was here. There's somebody that you are praying for every day. 
There is somebody whose life maybe, like you'd say, it means more. You'd give anything. You'd give everything. You'd give your own life for them to know the life that you have in Jesus Christ. You see, Christ's body was broken because Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there, and so he missed out. So, Thomas wasn't there, but they, the other disciples, do exactly as Jesus commanded them to do, as he desired them to do. He goes, they go out, and they share the good news. They share the gospel. Jesus Christ is risen. And then that is where we have Thomas's famous now profession, if I do not see the hands, if I do not put my hand in the spear-pierced side, then I am not going to believe. Just as much as I was all in when I believed he was the Messiah, I am all out if he is dead. And so Thomas doubts. Now, I want to say this about doubt. Doubt isn't a bad thing. Doubt leads to some great questions. Doubt can lead to some great internal searching. Doubt can lead to some of our greatest experiences of faith. Um, one of my favorite authors, I'm always quoting this guy, it would appear to me, but Frederick Buechner wrote this. i got to kind of move on and get on to some other things I want to preach into today. But Frederick Buechner writes this about, about doubt. Whether your faith is that there is a God or that there is not a God. If you don't have any doubts, you're either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. They keep it awake and moving. There's no shame in Thomas's question. He has a reasonable doubt. He has a reasonable question. He needs the evidence of the resurrection to move forward in his faith. And what he says right now, what we affirmed then on Easter morning, I don't need to resurrect his memory. I don't need to, you know, resurrect his mission. You know, I, I, I need the resurrected body. I need the body to know that I'm going to go all in. He needs faith with flesh. He needs faith with flesh. And friends, we all need faith with flesh. That's one of the beautiful things of being the body of Christ. What we live into by the power of the Holy Spirit is that we become now the very body of Christ. And what I love in the mornings whenever we gather here for worship until I kind of have to run in and then do the quick sound check and get things ready to go, you'll notice, some of you notice, I'm always, I'm always out there, you know, just trying to greet and welcome people. And what I love is how people need flesh to make faith real. I love seeing people just reach out a hand to shake another hand. I love it even more when I see people just embracing each other and giving a pat on the back. Oh, when I even see people exchanging the holy kiss. I mean, just to, to, to gather and to put flesh onto faith as the body of Christ begins to make it real. One of the best days of the week for me is Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, my connection group meets in my home. Um, my connection group is, is awesome. If any spots, it's pretty full. If any spots open up, I will let you know. But right now, you're probably going to have to go through an interview process because our group is so awesome, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want some weirdo getting there and screwing up how awesome our group is. But our group is, but I can tell you this about how awesome our group is. I would only need one person to show up at my house on Wednesday nights to make it real for me. And that person is not yet old enough to drive. I don't think she can even ride a bike. 
But whenever she comes, I played this trick on her. When she comes to my house, I'll go, I'll, go into the, I'll go into the other room just to see what will happen. And without failure, she will come into the house. And it is not real for her, for me to say, hello, good to have you. It is not real for me to give her a high five or fist bump. She reaches out her hands and she demands to be picked up to be embraced. And you best believe I pick her up and I embrace her and we walk around the house for a good time until she's ready to be put down and get on with her evening. And what I love how is at the end of the night, it has to repeat itself. She is not going to get away with a simple good night. She comes running back, uh, back again. She needs to be embraced. And she, uh, and she always asks this, when am I going to see you again? When am I going to see you again? And I'll say, oh, we'll see you Sunday. We'll see you, you know, next. Yeah, yeah. I, I just love how she needs flesh to make her faith real. She needs the flesh to make her faith real. And we need it, friends. We need to be with God's people to make our faith real and tangible, incarnate, and with one another. Thomas needs flesh to make his faith real real and to move forward. But Thomas needs something more, friends. Thomas needs something more. He, just, uh, he doesn't just need the flesh. He needs the scars. He needs the scars. He needs to know it is the real deal, the authentic Jesus, the Jesus that was crucified and hung on the cross. He needs to put his hands in the nail-scarred marks. He needs to put his hand into the side. He needs the scars. And what I got to say about that is I am so glad we have a God with scars. Can I get an amen from the men here? Do we like a God with scars? I love a God with scars. I love that my first G.I. Joe doll had that big scar down its face. I love that scene from Jaws whenever the fishermen are together and they start telling the story about each and every one of their scars and the story that is behind those scars. I've got a scar, friends. I've got a scar. It happened whenever I was a very young boy. Before I even entered into school, I was out playing and I came in from my morning of play and I was famished. I was dying. I was like Esau calling out for the stew. Sorry, it's a preacher thing there. I mean, I was famished. And my mom, being the awesome mom that she is, had made chicken noodle soup. Before she even knew what was going on, I had come in, I had reached up, I grabbed the chicken noodle soup, and I pulled it down onto me. Thank goodness it didn't hit the moneymaker here, friends, but it hit, it, sorry, sorry. But, but it covered my arm and scalded my arm. I was in the hospital with a third-degree scald for two days. I can't eat chicken noodle soup to this day. I go flashbacks every time somebody, no, 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 so, but chicken noodle soup scar. I, I always wanted to make up a story about why I had this scar running down from my shoulder down to a, about here. Chicken noodle soup isn't a great story about a scar. <laughs> Maybe you have a scar that tells a good story. I'd love to hear it, by the way, if you do. But I tell you, has the best story behind his scars. I think you know who I'm talking about. The scars on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ tell the best story that was ever told. Amen, friends? The scars on Jesus Christ tell the story of the price that he paid to win victory over sin and death. The scars on Jesus tell the story of us 
tetelestai. The scars tell the story. It is finished. The scars tell the story. It has been paid in full at the cost of my own body and the shedding of my own blood. You have been redeemed. You have been bought back. You are my dearly beloved who have been purchased at a price. The price was my own life, friends. We have been paid for by the scars of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the best scar story that can ever be told. Thomas needs those scars, and when he touches those scars, he will know. He will know he has the one. A couple years ago, a couple years ago, my wife and I, we had a dinner club, and we are getting together with the couples, and the wives decided they're going to play a game with the men. So they sat down, each one of us, and they blindfolded us. And so if you're already freaking out, don't worry, that's as kinky as it's going to get. So they blindfolded the men, and then the test was quite simple. Each of the women came and they put their hands into our hands and we were to decide to choose who was our spouse from simply feeling their hand in our hand. You see, I had an advantage. I knew something nobody else knew. It was the easiest test for me to ever pass. See, my wife, Robin, when she was young, from playing the piano so much, she developed ganglionic cysts on each of her wrists, and she eventually had to have surgery on each of her hands. So whenever each of the women put their hand in mine, I simply took my other hand, and I placed it then on their wrist. And whenever I felt the scars, I knew it was my beloved. I knew it was my Robin. Thomas says, if I can touch the scars... I'll know it's my beloved. I'll know it's my Lord and Savior. I know it's really him back from the dead, and I'll know my sins are truly atoned for. I will know that there is truly the resurrection and the life in his name. I need to touch those scars. A week later, Thomas is where he's supposed to be. He's with his people. He's with his tribes. He's with the other disciples And praise be to God, when we gather with his people, the resurrected Christ shows up. And the resurrected Christ showed up in body. And he addresses Thomas. Immediately after he gives his normal, you know, welcome, peace be with you, he turns immediately to Thomas, immediately to him, and says, reach out and touch where the nails pierced my hand. Reach your hand out and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Did you catch what happened here in this exchange, friends? Give me a preacher moment to make it abundantly clear for all of us. Jesus was already there in Thomas's doubt. Though Thomas wasn't where he needed to be, Jesus knew where Thomas was, and Jesus was already there with Thomas, and he already knew his doubt, and he already knew his question, and he already knew what he needed to do to bring him back into the fold, friends. Jesus is already there with you in your doubt. Jesus is already there with you in your questions, and for everyone who feels the brokenness in the body of Christ because of somebody who isn't here with us today, this is my assurance to you and the faith that we have. Jesus is already with them, friends. Jesus is there with them. Jesus knows their doubts. Jesus knows their fears. Jesus knows their brokenness. Jesus knows what they need, friends. And if we just keep praying and we keep inviting and we keep sharing, and I think if we keep being the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ, friend, friends, we can respond to each one of those doubts and fears and bring them back into the fold. Thomas declares, 
when the answer is given, my Lord and my God. And may that be our response when we experience the power of the risen Lord at work in our lives to surrender ourselves fully, my Lord and my God. Jesus then goes on to give this last indication for us of where the mission goes forward. He says, blessed are you because you saw and you believed. And you needed to see to believe. And the disciples needed to be unified in their witness and their testimony that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. This is why the resurrection matters so much. But then he says, blessed are those who do not see and yet will believe. And what we can know from that is they will believe because you will now go out with the testimony. The very Thomas who was ready to walk away completely then goes all in 100%. And it is the unity of that testimony that moves us forward. Friends, for them, believing had to come with seeing. But now for us, friends, seeing comes with believing. Seeing comes with believing. We believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. We believe the witness of the scriptures, the testimony of the apostles, the testimony of all who saw the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And now we put our belief and faith and our trust in that. And then we begin to see Jesus Christ. And now we see him in the body at work amongst us. Now we see him in the hands of the people who go out and love and serve and care for us and for those in need. We begin to see now in the feet of those who take the good news to all the corners of the world. We believe and then we see Christ's life at work in powerful and undeniable ways. Amen, friends? Amen. I want to invite the band to come forward. We're going to get ready to pray and then we're going to go out with some worship. And all I want to invite you to do now is to put your belief in the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ, to feel your doubts and fears begin to melt away, and then see him at work in the very body of Christ of which you are invited to be a part. And it's not a big leap, friends. It's not a big leap. If somebody told me they saw the Virgin Mary in a potato chip, I'd need to see it to believe it. Somebody told me they saw Jesus in a pancake. These are all real things, by the way. I need to believe it to see it. But whenever we believe in Jesus Christ, in his resurrection and his life at work with us, we begin to see him as we, the body of Christ, celebrate and go forward in what he calls us to do, being his hands and feet who take the good news to all of the world. Will you pray with me, friends? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what I want to pray now for each and every one of us gathered now is that through the eyes of faith, through our believing in the testimony of your resurrection and the life that we have by the power of your spirit, that we may now see and move forward in faith, that we will see you at work in the body. We may see your hands and the hands of those that love and serve in our community. May we see your feet and those who take the good news. May we continue to see you at work in the body of Christ, your people, your church, until your promised return. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.